Those benches were amazing. And we turn around next week and play Indiana in the shoe, and Gene Smith got some benches lined up for us because he (laughs) knew that we needed to have those bad boys. They made that big of a difference. The Glory Days Podcast, Dreams and Nightmares with Joshua Perry and Evan Spencer. Hosted by Chris Caldwell. A quick reminder before we start the show. Here's how you can find us on social media. At Twitter, at Glory Days Pod. That's all one word, at Glory Days Pod. On Instagram, at Glory underscore Days underscore Pod. And on Facebook, at Glory Days Podcast. As we start our episode this week, I think it's important before we dive into the backstory of Minnesota and, and Indiana to let you know why these two games were so significant to the historical context context of the 2014 team. I think it should be noted that when Joshua and I were talking about this project, as we started to map out the episodes, rightly so, Joshua was pretty adamant about making sure that we gave the proper amount of time and respect to both the Gophers and the Hoosiers. So before we dive into the history books, Joshua, do you want to take a quick moment and tell the listeners your perspective on why these two games were so important when telling the story of the eventual national champions? Yeah, I just I I felt like there was there are some storylines out of these games that I felt needed to stand alone. You couldn't just kind of group them into a big episode with, you know, like two, three, four other games. Um, when you look at Minnesota, we were on the road. That was a top 25 matchup. It was a very gritty game for us. And I remember being out there on the hands team at the end of the game. That's how close it was. Minnesota was trying to kick an onside to maybe get the ball back and tie the game up. And then you look at Indiana. That was a game where we were behind. We were down in that game, and it took a performance off of a player who was coming off of a rough week that really propelled us. And so I I felt like we need to talk about that just for the mentality of the team. Minnesota, cold game on the road. We finished that one out. Indiana at home, but it was a comeback type of game. And I think it speaks to to the mentality of how we were going to go out there, regardless of the situation, and be able to perform to win the game. Perfect. Guys, um, as we head into the Minnesota week, before we start talking about things like the weather and coaching tactics and the game itself, I want to take a minute and talk about Braxton Miller real quickly. And I hope that people don't forget that Braxton Miller is the two-time defending Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year, and he's still a captain of this team. But coming up on 10 games with JT Barrett as the starter, and to date he's 8-1, and one, setting all kinds of passing records, and there's, an even, there's even an undercurrent of a discussion about the Heisman Trophy. Yeah. Now, we know Braxton was, is out for the season after a shoulder injury was sustained in fall camp, but I'm wondering where is Braxton Miller in regards to team activities and being around his teammates? You know, is he off by himself doing injury rehab? Is he in meetings with the coaches? Where is he during this, enti- during this time period? 
Yeah, I mean, he's around the guys, first and foremost. I mean, one thing that we wanted to do um, from the start once he did get injured was just surround ourselves around him, right? Show him that we are his family and we're going to be here uh, for him as he continues to come back. And I think that was the focus, right? Keep Braxton around the guys. And as he gets a little uh, more mobile, as he feels a little bit better, maybe we'll we'll get him out in some walkthroughs, not taking reps, but, you know, taking some mental reps, getting behind the quarterbacks, hearing what they're talking about. And it's more so just for Braxton's standpoint, want to keep him involved, but also like, hey, we might have to transition Braxton. And there are some questions that we're going to have at quarterback next year because JT's playing well. Cardell really hasn't started to come on, but, you know, he's always a great talent and, and can always bring some some competition to that room. So I think, um, you know, as a receiver, it was cool for us to see, you know, in seven on seven, we come back after three, four play stint, you know, that Braxton's talking about what kind of leverage that Eli or Duran was playing in, um, uh, in, in seven on versus what we might have expected in, you know, against Indiana or against Minnesota, because some of these teams play some coverages that mimic, um, you know, stuff that we do. So, you know, it was cool to see that. But, you know, there was the undertone to your point, right? Like, hey, is Braxton going to go anywhere? Right. Like what? What are his options? Because JT's setting records. Heck, I mean, in one of these games, he started breaking the records that, um, 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 you know, quarterbacks pass it. Um, so, you know, it was there. But I think, you know, he really uh, valued the shield that was on his uh, on his mm-hmm. chest. And that was the block. O. And and at the end of the day, that was what was most important to him. And he really gave it to the guys because of it. Let me jump in on that, because I'll say on the defensive side, like Braxton, wasn't necessarily like a a raw raw type of loud leader for the team. I don't know what he was like when it was in you know just the offense separate. But like we always looked at Braxton as a guy who did things the right way, and that's yeah. why we looked up to him. Uh, but I I can remember scenarios where we'd be in the locker room and I'd be like, hey, Braxton, when the offense is doing X, Y, and Z, like what are they really trying to accomplish here? Like like if as a quarterback, what are you thinking? And he would be like, oh, you know, we're trying to do this, or we're trying to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a big part of the value too is like as defensive players, we could lean on Braxton to really give us insight into what the offense was trying to do. Mm-hmm. And he was always a very selfless guy like that where you could ask him those types of questions and he'd be like, man, let me walk you through this real quick. Right. Um, and and there, I mean, there's so much benefit to having a guy like that who's just there and he's an open book and a resource. Right. I mean, think about all the other awards that he had won to your point, yeah. right? Like, yeah. Yeah, that's just nothing but knowledge and, mm-hmm. you know, game within a game type of stuff yeah. that, you know, it can be spread to guys on the other side of the ball and, you know, when they start to kick ass, you know, you guys can wink at each other, do a little chest bump on the sideline yeah. in the game, which happened, right? So, you know, it just speaks to the family atmosphere we have. So I want to get into in a second about kind of the chatter surrounding Braxton and the team. But, you know, Evan, you're in his recruiting class. Yeah. Joshua, you're a year behind. Are you guys having individual conversations with him about his recovery from his injury? Because I'm I'm interested in his mentality with regards to his recovery from his injury, but also about what players are doing when they're going through injury rehab. Yeah. I mean, I know that I was having conversations with him about it because um, I I can explicitly remember them both before he got hurt in spring game and and definitely throughout the season or not spring game, but before camp um, and definitely throughout the season, Um, you know, but what we were just talking about is just generally 
you know, hey, my shoulder is trending, right? But like it was kind of updates, right? Like, oh yeah, hey, this is what we're doing, um, throwing the ball wise with the trainers. Cause he wasn't always throwing like right on the sidelines where everybody that was on the practice field could see him, um, you know? And, and some of those conversations were, were tougher to hear than, than you would expect, right? Because, you know, that, those were the times where Braxton was, you know, barely been able to get at 10, 15, 20 yards without pain. That is, um, you know, and then just, you know, starting that conversation of, oh, crap, well, we might be changing positions here, um, you know, because I got a new body to operate out of, um, you know, those were things that were happening. But, you know, again, I, I, I touched on the family side of things before because, you know, that's what we were really doing. It wasn't like any of us were ignorant to the fact that, you know, that was a really tough mental um, battle that he's going through and was going to have to deal with over the next 12 to 18 months, so to say. Um, you know, we and we wanted to be there for him, um, you know, and, you know, in conversations like that, I, I and Josh and others tried to do their best to to be. Well, it's interesting you talk about the family atmosphere because I want to tie two things together and see if they make a bow here. So hang with me for a second. Got it. First, Joshua, you and Evan have both highlighted that maybe one of the lesser known, but well, just the lesser known keys to success for this team was the strength of the relationships between the players, the family atmosphere. It wasn't starters necessarily hanging with starters or, but you basically had different players up and down the roster hanging out with each other. Mm -hmm. And before I get to where I'm going with this, let's take a second here for both of you. Who were your guys that you hung out with outside of team activities or maybe during team activities? Was there a core group of guys that you guys hung out with and maybe give a little bit of background on who you guys hung out with? Yeah, uh, definitely a core group of guys. But at the end of the day, we were all cool together, right? I mean, it would be more or less like who you'd pregame with and then go meet out later <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, but no, I mean, some of my close friends are like Jeff Hireman. We lived together for two, three years um, Joel Hale, Nick Finette, um, you know, some of those guys we were cool with. Hell, you know, who else was Tommy Shutt was another one. Um, you know, Kevin Ehoff, uh, you know, who we mentioned was a great scout team player for us. You know, he got a chance to get out there and play some ball on kickoff coverage too. Um, great guy. Um, he, we hang, we hung out a lot together too. And Reed Fragle, Zach Bourne, you know, Zach or, uh, uh, Jake Stoneburner, right? I can start going down the list, but, uh, you know, a lot of some of these guys were um, guys that I either had some kind of relationship with going in or, you know, just kind of clicked off with right away. But again, you know, I think that like we always loved to hang out with each other as a team. Right. Like, you yeah. know, Kenny Chesney concert. I remember seeing Jamie Wood and you know, all these <laughs> other guys, you know, and all, all of a sudden we backed up a couple of pickup trucks next to each other and we had a blast. So, um, you know, I, I think that's what it was. But uh, those are some of the guys that I hung out with. Well, I'm going to get to Joshua's, but it also seems like, you know, I didn't hear a lot of receivers in there. And it's not not because you weren't friends with those guys, but mm -hmm. was it because you were spending so much time with the receivers in the receivers room that maybe, OK, yeah. now I'm going to go with Jeff and I'm going to go with Reed and and guys from maybe outside my position group? Sure. I mean, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm definitely saying that, that that would have to deal with it because, I mean, we're, we're with those guys 24 seven. But Devin and I were roommates going in and, you know still good friends to this day so it wasn't like any lack of like hey i gotta get away from you guys yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know like to hell with you I, I can't see you anymore but uh um you know i just think that like naturally like whether guys are going home guys are staying whether you're in state out of state you know naturally some dudes start to um hang out and then you know before you know it you make friends and you know there's girls that come into the picture and then you know they have friends that start to connect and you know <laughs> you, know, you go from there 
the college experience. How about there you, Joshua? You <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I lived with um, Cam Williams, who's a linebacker, and Armani Reeves, who was um, a defensive back, and those guys are both uh, same high school out of Boston area. And then, I mean, a lot of my dudes, like my main guys were out of the linebacker room, so like Curtis, but when you're hanging with Curtis, you're hanging with Duran Grant, and you're hanging with Steve Miller, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then I would hang out with um, – Craig Feta and Joe Berger. So those were a couple like walk on guys. So, um, you know, like even, you know, even though they're not scholarship guys, like we're doing all the same stuff together and it's like, they're, you know, just a part of the team. Um, and then I would hang out with Tyvis Powell, who's one of my, my great friends to this day. But whenever you're hanging out with Tyvis, you're hanging out with Cardale Jones too. <laughs> now, you know, those two, they, yeah. they go everywhere together. So, um, it was always fun. I felt like we had, we, we cast a pretty wide net just in terms of guys just kind of like, I don't know, just we're social. Like we're we're yeah. we were we were a very social locker room. And, right. and one of the cool things that we did too, like there'd be times where in the locker room our lockers were just like, you know, like linebackers are all together. And then mm-hmm. we'd come in one day and it's just all mixed up and you're just you're over by whoever. And yeah. um that was really awesome because that was a, a good way to connect. Like you're sitting next to somebody every single day, um, and, and you have to talk to that person. Right. Like you can't avoid it. Uh, which was yeah, really, especially really, in camp when you got the little yeah, stupid ass inflatable mattresses yeah. laid out everywhere because coach yeah. doesn't let you leave the facility. Man, um, and, and you I'll know, tell you, get you pretty what, close you, with Sean Nuremberger after you're sleeping next to his ass for about three. That's weeks. what I was getting ready to say. <laughs> like you, you get on one of those inflatable mattresses and you'll be sleeping next to to somebody who you don't you wouldn't re- you wouldn't talk to on a normal basis. But like mm-hmm. that's the open space, and everybody's trying to get a little bit of rest between practices. I was gonna say yeah. that seems like it's part of the method to the madness of the of, of everything of like you're sure. putting mattresses together, and it's kind of forcing you sure. to become you know closer with guys that you may not normally do that with. Yeah, but I mean, um, Josh touched on it, right? Like that that social characteristic is is really valuable and and definitely overlooked in a lot of programs. Sure. Yeah, be, I feel like it'd be weird to be on a team that wasn't social. I, I mean, shit, I was there in the league, so I. Mm-hmm. You know, oh yeah, like yeah. I, you you I, see it. You definitely yeah. see it. Like I, I used to walk in, um, and there were like I had a couple of dudes, but like there'd be a lot of guys who I wouldn't talk to, period. Mm-hmm. And I had no reason to talk to them. They had no reason to talk to me. And it, it was a very weird situation. But I felt like we had as social of a locker room as you could imagine. Well, Joshua, let me ask you that. Just pinpointing for a second in the NFL. I mean. Why would that be? Because I can see no downside to it. Like literally um, building a brotherhood between mm-hmm. your teammates. Is it just because it's so much of a business compared to, you know, the college side of things? Yeah, I think the business has a lot to do with it. I also think there's like a, um, a like a socioeconomic structure in the yes. locker room a lot oh, of times. Okay. Like, you know, first round rookies get to hang out with big money vets. But like if you're a if you're a seventh round or undrafted rookie, you're probably not hanging out with right. the veteran starting quarterback, like that guy, to, he doesn't know if you're going to be around next week, right. you know, and that's, that's the other part of it too. Like you don't, you don't get too close to people because you don't know if people are going to be there. Right. And it's yeah. so strange, but it's just, that's the nature of the business. It's so weird. Like you go into a receiver room, right. And you're going against another receiver who's been in the league for eight years. Right. And has got a family and three kids. And at the end of the day, you know, they drafted you fourth, fifth, sixth to come in and maybe replace that guy, yep. you know, and you're sitting there trying to build that, hey, I want to sleep on a air mattress next to you, build that social bond, figure out how we can, you know, develop outside of the game of football. It's It, it starts to become a little bit more complicated. Yeah. Uh, it just sounds much more like a business. Mm-hmm. Um, so, guys, I ask this because there's a lot of talk, and I talk about guys and their friends and who they're, who they're hanging with, is because there is a lot of talk about Braxton's future at Ohio State. Sure. 
First, there's speculation about a transfer. 11 Warriors talks about a quote from Bleacher Reports NFL draft lead Matt Miller, where he says, you hate to see a kid leave his school, but for his career, I think the best thing would be for him to go somewhere else that's going to run a little bit more of a pro-style offense and where he would get on the field right away. And there's even, you know, rampant rumors, I'll say that 50 times, about (laughs) schools like Florida State. Yes, (laughs) Florida State. And there's even a ridiculous one where they say Scott Frost is in Columbus recruiting and he wants to meet with Braxton about him coming out to Oregon where he's the offensive coordinator. And second, regarding 2015, you know, Evan, you talked about it just a, a second ago, but regarding maybe a quarterback competition, and Urban sure. was said, hey, we're fortunate. I think they're both excellent quarterbacks. We'll worry about that day when it comes. And a potential quarterback controversy, he said, is literally not in the back of my mind, but competition brings out the best. Mm-hmm. Do you guys remember, before I try to tie that bow together, do you guys remember hearing all of this chatter about Braxton and possibly the transfer? I know, Evan, you talked about the position change, but do you remember hearing all this drama outside noise trying to infiltrate the program? Slightly, but I would say that, like, at least in my mind, um, and maybe I was too confident in this, I don't know, but I, I just figured that, you know what, at the end of the day, coach is just prepping for whatever the competition's going to look like next year, right? Mm-hmm. It, it was never in my understanding that, like, Braxton was actually going to consider leaving because I truly insulted to this day, obviously, then don't think that that was something that he wanted to do. Um, so, you know, as it, at, you know, as it relates to that, that's you know, pretty yeah. much what I would uh, say there. Braxton, Braxton was way too engaged, I feel like, to – to leave that like that was yeah. my mentality I was like he's I mean he's he's literally at every practice like taking a mental rep right guys who are on their way out the door aren't doing that kind of yeah. stuff and had done it for four years right like when yeah. we came in you know it was oh my gosh nine starters gone all these freshmen come in and figure it out um and we did we fought our ass off you know we didn't win a lot of games that year but then to do that freshman sophomore and then junior year and then not to be the guy right like it you know you did develop a brand a little bit while doing so so to tie the bow i asked you guys about who you hung out with and now i'm wondering who are braxton's guys that he could talk to again maybe not about this noise but position change did he have a core group of friends i'm sure he did um who were they who were they who was he hanging out with so, I mean, guys on the team that he hung out with, I, I'd say I don't know what qualify for, like, the best folks for kind of where you're going, right? Like, mm-hmm. who would be his counsel in this t- tough yeah. time? Uh, because he was really close with family. I mean, whether it was um, his brother or cousin that was mm-hmm. always with him. Yep. You know, they they spent so much time together, right? So, you know, Braxton and, you know, even having Landon, I think that he had Landon at this time. That, yeah, that's what I was getting ready to say. Braxton's mm-hmm. a father, too, is something you have exactly. to consider. So, like, okay. I think he was and, – and, and so, like, I'll put it like this. There were there were other guys who were fathers on the team, and I know, like, Braxton and Curtis were pretty close. Mm-hmm. And so that might have been some of the conversation that we, they were having. And specifically, uh, Curtis would have been a good guy to talk to because he was a guy who had considered leaving – in the past. So they yeah. probably did have that type of conversation, but I also know that um Braxton was he was he leaned on his family structure a ton because that was a big part of him being able to raise a son while also being a college football player. 100%. All right, one quick thing before we move on. If you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe, follow, and give us a download on your favorite podcasting app. 
It's easy to do. Just navigate to Glory Days, Dreams, and Nightmares on your podcasting platform and hit subscribe or follow, and you'll be able to see all of our newest updates right when they drop. Then remember to download each episode so you can take our show wherever you go. One more time, remember to subscribe and download the Glory Days podcast, Dreams and Nightmares, to listen to the newest episodes as soon as possible. Coming out of Michigan State game, Coach Meyer had some very complimentary things to say about the receivers to the local press. Mm. And uh, he said, basically, I'm kind of high on the receivers right now, and you can't tell. That's probably a first. The receivers played their best game against Michigan State since we've been here. Now, Urban's a former wide receiver coach. Is he especially involved with the wide receivers during practice, Evan? I mean, tell me, tell me a little bit about his involvement with the wide receivers. Yes, <laughs> very much so. Uh, from individual to pat, like um, you know, pass routes on air to seven on seven to team. Yes, he watches almost every route, and like to like to the point like. I think maybe it was the start of this year. Like maybe we were struggling with like press man or getting off press man coverage. Coach Meyer literally threw away all of the releases that we had, came and taught one into like we were talking about in the last episode. It was what he said. So if you didn't do it, yeah. your ass was grass, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it like halfway worked. So <laughs> you kind of had to like build some variations on it. But no, he was very involved. And obviously it's because of his past there. And, um, you know, I think that eventually we were able to uh, be better for it. So let's just make a quick switch over to starting the, you know, to physically prepare for Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And to the surprise of no one, remember, this is a game in November. Minneapolis is projecting <laughs> to be pretty cold. Weather's going to be a factor. <laughs> and in fact, on game day, ESPN reported that the game time temperature of 15 degrees was the coldest game on record for the Buckeyes since Michigan in 1964. You guys are both yeah. cold weather guys in terms of where you went yeah. to high school and grew up. Um, was this the coldest game you guys ever played in? Uh, no, this was not the coldest game I ever played in. I played in some nasty games in Chicago. Okay. As I say, you're <laughs> not, on the lake. Exactly right. I mean, I think there was one game that I had high school, freshman football, Vernon Hills, and we were behind the varsity field, right? Like freshman football, like, you know, you don't, you don't get any uh, of the niceties. And it was like... 30 mile an hour plus Oof. wind gusts and like literally they, they kicked a, a a kickoff that looked like it was going out of bounds and it came back and like bounced straight off my chest. <laughs> yeah, I picked it up and you know we were fine but uh that was the coldest game I've been in so but at least it kind of speaks to the whole like midwestern and try to figure out how to get the pigskin around a hundred yard field while it's uh snowing yeah. you know we had some experience but then again like you know when your hands are cold, they're cold. When you can't feel your feet, you still can't feel your feet. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. not like it's anything that uh, you know, that's an issue that, yeah. that you're immune to for sure. Well, I'm just wondering if the coaches, how they prepared you guys for this type of cold weather, because again, yeah. you guys are cold weather guys, but there are guys on the team that are from Texas and California and Florida that may not be used to competing <laughs> in these types of elements. Do you remember any type of drills or any kind Man, of issues? Drills. It's, outdoor practice the whole yeah, week right and, yeah, and yeah. our guys from the we south, are in man, ohio so it ain't it ain't hard yeah, <laughs> they yeah. guys from the south they would come out and practice wearing tights and sweatshirts under their pads and i don't know if it was for everybody but our coaches were no sleeves no sleeves like they didn't they didn't want you wearing all that stuff because they didn't want it to be a shock 
when you got out there and it was 15 degrees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's the only way to really try to prep for yeah. it is like you're in practice outside. You're going to tell guys not to wear sleeves. What's well, funny, it, it goes it, it's part of it, too, though. I mean, because you are bringing up an important dynamic, right? Like a lot of guys from Florida, right? Biggest recruit. A lot of guys from Texas. Hell, Garrett Wilson, right? Right. Georgia. You know, um, Georgia, all these guys. Um, but I, I think it's part of the, hey, I know that I could go to Alabama or I could go to these programs. I want to compete for this team in this environment in the Big Ten. You're understanding that you're going to have some shitty games. And you're, yeah. you know, it, it's there's plenty of NFL teams that yeah, play in Chicago. Yeah, got to play cold play, weather in exactly. the league. Doesn't matter where your team is based out of. You're, you're exactly. going to play a cold weather game. Exactly. I just think it's always funny. I used to live in Florida, work at the University of Florida, and it would be like 40 degrees, and people would come in wearing parkas. People that live down there, they don't understand Jeez. it. They really don't get it. Jeez. Um, That's how California was. They didn't. Uh, they didn't. They don't on. know. Tough yeah. up. You know, well, it's funny you talked about no sleeves because uh, according to 11 Warriors, when asked about the weather, right tackle Daryl Baldwin said, I like to think of myself as tough. So I try not to wear sleeves whenever I can. It's a fashion statement. And as the five starters, we like to look the same. What one person wants to do, we just all do it. And look, guys, it it may not be about fashion, but it's interesting that the offensive linemen all said we're not wearing sleeves. Mm-hmm. Did you guys in your position groups or anything like that have any types of traditions? It doesn't have to be about a game day tradition. It could be a practice thing or whatever yeah. that maybe you can shine a little bit of light on for some of the fans listening in terms of the, the fun that goes on behind the scenes with some of these traditions. Yeah. I, I, I can't give you anything all too fun that I can think of top of my mind. The more I talk, maybe I'll get one or two. But I know that that Minnesota game, it was funny. If you go back and watch the highlights, there was a few of us, especially in the receiver room, me included, are like, you know what? Hey, I'm not wearing sleeves either. So I came out, warmed up with those sleeves. I'm sure Mike did too. Uh, started the game. Mike doesn't have sleeves on. He's balling, whatever. And then like, there's a very noticeable switch like, Close to the end of the first half, or close to the end of the first quarter, second quarter, you know, you look at Mike. All of a sudden, he comes back out there, these long, thick, like thermal, uh, long sleeves on, and had it on the rest of the game. So, uh, you know, just a story within a story. But no, I mean, I can't really think. I mean, the the only tradition I could think of that was no, rememberable was. Uh, uh, Coach Combs' little like figurines that he would always do for all of our special teams. Yeah. Like every week, we'd we'd get something new. Like you know, one time it'd be like you know, like a I don't know like a band of brothers, or we got like a playing card one time, and mm-hmm. it meant something, or like a toy soldier, you know, a lucky Buckeye or something like that. So yeah. that would be some of the traditions I can think of. But that was just more special teams related, not too much receiver stuff. Our uh, our O line group was a little special. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, I'll say. the slobs the were kind of a category. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so they 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 did this thing. It was like you know they called themselves the damn polar bears, a bunch of weirdos, and they would jump into like the ice bath after practice. Like they would swan dive in there. Oh man! And I'm like, okay, first off, that is shallow, and y'all are heavy. Yeah. So right. I don't I don't know if you understand the <laughs> science, but you will break your neck and die. Yeah. Um, but that that was like their thing, and then. Linebackers, we were we were probably the second strangest group on the team. <laughs> so one thing that we did was uh, we would do like TV gun show. So that oh, was yeah. after a Thursday practice. We would go into the weight room and we would lift arms. But we would make like we would make all of the uh, the young linebackers. We would make the walk on linebackers who were like still freshmen sophomores, and we would make uh, the scout team O linemen come in there with us. And we would abuse them. We would make them do like 400 reps of bicep curls. And we're like pouring water on them the whole time. And we had strobe lights back there. 
and we would play like EDM music. And I, yeah. I used to wear like a cutoff shirt to practice. And so we'd be like dancing and stuff. There's video evidence of it. And I'm, I'm not exactly sure where the vault is, yeah. but that was that was kind of like our get our mind right at the end of the week thing. We'll send some texts out and see if we can uh, share that. <laughs> Brady, Brady Collins, I think, has the footage. He's down in Cincinnati now. <laughs> I was yeah. going to say, if, if people are listening and have that footage, please, we'll have a Twitter handle up. We'll let you know. <laughs> yep. um, it's interesting that you talked about Coach Combs because, you know, speaking of shirts without sleeves and, and short <laughs> sleeves, um, there's a very famous game day picture of Woody Hayes wearing a short sleeves on the sidelines in the blustering snow. But we saw Kerry Combs try to replicate this type of toughness by wearing short sleeves in this game. Everybody else on the coaching staff seems to be all bundled up. Hmm. He's rolling in short sleeves in 15 degrees weather. Um, we haven't talked much about Kerry Combs, and we know he has since returned to Ohio State this year as the co-defensive coordinator here in 2020. What can you guys tell us about Kerry Combs that maybe we don't know? I think y'all probably know it all, man. He's, yeah. he's yeah. the most <laughs> passionate guy you could meet. Um, here, here's, I guess, here's Kerry in reality, I've I've been around him in numerous social situations that since I've I've left, um, Kerry is actually a very he's a confident man. But when he's not yelling and screaming at practice, he is like almost gentle when it comes to his tone. When you speak to him, like a very comforting type of mm-hmm. you know father grandfather type tone. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the the greatest family men you'll ever meet. I mm-hmm. I like if 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 you're one of his guys, he treats you like family, and he treats his family like gold. Uh, just, just he's a wonderful person. I'll just put it like that. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, like here here's another example, right? Like you know, I saw and not to relate to military, but I saw another movie that where this, you know guys said, hey, we're not going to give any heat to the guys that were inside at HQ while we have men in the field. Kind of similar situation where Coach comes like, you know what? My guys are out there. They don't have yep. any sleeves on, whatever. I'm not wearing sleeves, right? You know. Yeah. But I, I think that he just kind of adopts that mentality of like, hey, you know, these are my family members. These are my extended sons here. And, you know, in, in so many um, analogies, they're going out to their own type of battle um, in this game. And, you know, if they're going to have to go through these same type of conditions and we've been making a whole bunch of hoopla about it all week, you know what? I'm going to put myself in a similar situation. Um, now, it's one way to look at it, but, uh, you know, it speaks yeah. to the man, I guess. Let me let me tell this story about him, actually, because I think this will really put it in context. If you remember uh, senior tackle, which was our tradition mm-hmm. for uh, the guys like the you know, you, you hit the bag for one final time um, Michigan week. And that was kind of like the tradition of how you send the seniors out. So they'll bring up the player. They'll have a young player say some remarks and then they'll have the position coach talk about the player uh, before he hits the bag. And Kerry Combs was the only coach who consistently would be in tears talking about every one of his yeah. guys. Does not matter if he was a walk on guy, does not matter how many snaps he played because Kerry loves his guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and coaches would get emotional, but like, you know, you get emotional over a Braxton Miller, you get emotional over a Curtis Grant. Kerry was connected to every one of the guys to the point where he would have tears in his eyes talking about him. Mm-hmm. Even guys like, you know, like guys that weren't starters, right? Yeah. Nick Serac. The Nick guy, Sirac. you know, we, we've talked about him before. Like he, yeah. he had tears in his eyes talking about Nick Serac. Yeah. Right. Well, we're going to talk about senior tackle next week when we talk about the team up north. But 
I want to dive into the Minnesota game and reminder, it's record temperature, cold and snowy. So we have eight and one Ohio State coming into Minneapolis as a 14 point favorite over the seven and two 25th ranked Minnesota Golden Gophers. And it should be noted that OSU isn't the only team coming off a big win because Minnesota just handed their main rival, Iowa, their worst loss in 15 years, mm, yeah. 51 to 14. A little spoiler alert, Ohio State was going to win this game 31-24, but as Joshua talked about earlier, the game's a little bit closer than people think. Game flow-wise, in the first quarter, it's all Ohio State. JT Barrett has his epic, record-breaking <laughs> 86-yard run. The slowest touchdown. touchdown I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Dude, I swear to God. I'm looking at those DBs like, bro, y'all like, oh can't God. catch this man running in 15-degree weather looking like he's got bricks for feet right now. <laughs> he so did. I was like, JT oh. isn't even warm yet. Like, no, like, he oh, wasn't shit. at all. <laughs> <laughs> and they couldn't catch him. He was running away. <laughs> Oh, I know. God, that, that was, was like a 12-second run. That was like, oh, remember, they, remember we talked man. about Rod Smith's 11-second block? Yep. I wonder if yep. it was on that yeah. play. About, the, about um, the same length of play. <laughs> exactly. And then Jalen Marshall, who we will dive into in depth in a minute, has a 57-yard touchdown reception. The Bucks are up 14-0 at the end of the first quarter. Then Minnesota starts to get going as David Cobb, who runs for 145 mm. yards on the day, has a pair of touchdowns to tie the game 14-all. And Sean Nuremberger hits a 22-yard field goal to give the Buckeyes a lead 17-14 going into the half. Let me let me jump in on this Cat David Cobb Please. real quick because he had a really good game. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. He was one of the biggest running backs I I had I'm ever had to, to tackle. He's a dude. He's yeah. A dude. And, I mean, and he ran like an old-school running back. Like, he used his helmet as a weapon. Um, I tackled him and, um, you know, kind of low-key got trucked. And he fell on top of me, and he cracked my ribs. Very big, very physical man. Like that was yeah. that was a running back. Yeah. Well, it's it, it's it, it's interesting you say that because the three you're, you guys are going to go a three game stretch where you're playing three guys that all went to the league and actually had some productive times in the league. Yeah, Jeremy Langford at Michigan State. Yeah, yeah, David player. Cobb at Minnesota, and then next week you guys are going to play Tevin Coleman. He's from really Indiana. Good yeah, he's <laughs> really still good he's still in the league. So yeah, but as you guys get into the locker room, all is not well in the locker room as Michael Bennett rips into the defensive line about the run defense after, after they had given up 95 rushing yards to David Cobb in the first half. This is what Michael Bennett said he said to the team. I let them know that I wasn't happy about it and I felt there was a lot of apathy like, oh, we only let them get 14 points and I felt like we shouldn't have let them get any. So it was mostly a call to action and we can't be okay with that. You can't let them run the ball. We're better than that. We need to form a wall and not let their running back get through. Guys, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about Michael Bennett when we talk about uh, next week. But mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about Mike Bennett and maybe give us a story or insight about him that the fans don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, Dayton guy coming out of high school, but, you know, from the standpoint of giving it all to the program, right? <laughs> being a leader, being a, you know, uh, a, a voice that you can get behind and go to war with, right? Like Mike Bennett is that guy, 100%. You know, all of what kind, all of what comes next week and him switching numbers and, you know, him having a real passion and mission, et cetera, um, speaks to this, you know, very obviously as well. But, you know, even before then, um, again, um, top to bottom, leading as a senior, he was one of the best. Michael was... A, a legit guy and I, I feel like he had some struggles through his first couple of years around urban too because Mike had been a guy who had suffered some injuries 
and wasn't maybe as productive as Urban had wanted him to be. Um, I'll tell you what, though. It's not just Michael Bennett was a, a hell of a football player, a hell of a leader. Michael is a great guy. He's smart as shit. Me and Michael are business partners on um, uh, on a couple of things right now uh, because, I, you know, we, we have mutual respect for each other. But, like, I have that much respect for him that, like, I'm comfortable, you know, like, you know, getting my finances involved with the guy. Um, he's he's special, dude. And yeah. he played football with a level of passion that I could really appreciate. Well, the second half gets a little dicey towards the end of the game, but in the third quarter, Michael Thomas has a 30-yard touchdown reception. You guys mm-hmm. lead at the end of three quarters, 24-14. Evan has a 22-yard touchdown reception. It's 31-14 OSU. I think the interesting part here is that uh, Urban comes out and says after the game, Evan Spencer is the offensive player of the game. And Evan, that's very high praise from Coach Meyer, considering mm-hmm. – what the fans see is they may not see all the hard work that goes on behind the scenes because they're seeing, wow, 189 yards rushing from JT Barrett, 200 yards passing. You obviously had a great game. Mm-hmm. Give us a little insight into how coaches come up with this determination because it's definitely yeah. something that the fans need to understand. It's not just about the statistics that they hear the commentators talk about it. There's no doubt about it. I mean, like from from the start of spring practice all the way through to these games, every play and every step that we have is graded. So whether you're sealing an edge on an outside run or it's some kind of deep, you know, post route or inside nine or something like that, you obviously get a grade. Now, if you you know catch a 90 yard touchdown pass, it's a double positive or a double plus. But if you also get a pancake block on an 87 yard touchdown run that's on a momentum swing and it was a big play you needed it at a specific time, you're also getting a double plus there so from that standpoint like, I mean I know that a lot of people are familiar with that like, pro football talk or whatever grade sheet that they do but essentially every player gets a grade for that game mm-hmm. so you know it, personally I know Josh did it and I know a lot of the leaders on the team put a high importance on grading out as a champion but you know you have a certain uh, percentage I think it was 90 percent but so long as you're in that category right like I have 50 plays and over my pluses and minuses, double plus, double negative or whatever, I have graded out a certain way. Um, If you do that recurringly, you start to develop reputations for that. And, you know, in my case, they it was a situation where we had a very talented room and a lot of guys that we had to get the ball to. So for me, it was either going to be a situation where I could pout about not getting the rock thrown to me as much as I could have wanted or find another way to influence the football game. And I focused on the latter and I did so, so much time after time after time without, you know, being all that selfish about it that, you know, Coach Meyer started to speak to it a little bit more in the media. And this game was another other one specifically where you know from you know just an offensive balance standpoint from pass or from uh, from from run blocking on the perimeter to having a touchdown at the end of the game where my hands were frozen couldn't feel my feet and <laughs> had to slide under a block yeah. and you know you you run away when your number's called and you score and you know before you know it momentum swings and we win the football game so um, you know, I just think it's more about like always being ready, um, but more importantly, doing your job. And sometimes your number gets called more frequently than others. And when it is, it's time to answer the bell. When do you get those grades? Uh, is that something you're going to get the next day after the coach? Sunday morning. Is? Sunday morning. Yes. Okay. Yeah, right. we, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> you don't even get 24 <laughs> well, hours to think on it, Doug. That's what I was going to say. And, and Coach Fickle, sometimes he would text you 
Um, right. He would text you on a Saturday night, depending on when the game was. And be Dude, like, there's man, many times where I remember oh, like flying back from Penn State or yep. something like that, where like we're literally on the plane and I'm yep. watching like Coach Smith do the grades as I'm yeah. watching. I'm like, come on, like that's a plus. Like, what are you talking about? Dude, they're passing <laughs> yeah, out yeah. dang on iPad and, and look. Right. I would I would sit up there when I know I had a good game. I'll go over oh, yeah, by Coach yeah. Fick and be I'd be <laughs> bullshitting. But there, there, you know, every once in a while he send a text and be like eleven thirty at night, and he'd be like, "You were fucking up." Oh yeah, there's <laughs> definitely like, ones where you were hiding. <laughs> Anything you can do. I think I'm sick. I won't come in tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Just walk in the walk in the meeting room with your head down. You already know. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's 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 jump back into the game. Like David Cobb uh, in the fourth quarter has a twelve yard touchdown run. It's thirty one twenty one. And then Minnesota tacks on a 34-yard field goal to close within 31-24. But they try an onside kick. It gets recovered by Ohio State. And the good guys win 31-24. I'd imagine you guys were glad to get out of there with a win just because of the elements and all the things going on. I mean, would, would you chalk this up as a character win moving forward? Because you all can't have 66 nothing tent victories and prepare for the rigors of, as we know, you're going to play Alabama later on in the year. I mean, this seems to me like it could be a character win. Listen, it's a top 25 team. We're playing on the road in the elements. Like, those are the games you need to win, especially mm-hmm. when you go into halftime and, you know, score is tied and guy goes off for 100 yards rushing. Like, you need to be in those situations to figure out how, how good your team is really going to be. Right. I think it was awesome. I, I right. Like, I, we talked about it earlier. I feel like this game it, is one that, that defined us in a unique way because of all of the everything outside of the X's and O's. Like, they're a really good team. We're playing on the road. There's weather going on, you know, like you need to be able to prove yourself in those situations. And proving yourself in those situations helps bolster the momentum of the team going forward. Curtis Grant said these bursts of energy are what drove the team from good to great. Facing adversity head on makes you stronger. Here's this week's captain's perspective with Curtis Grant. You know, so if someone build a wall, you knock it down and someone else will build another wall two times higher. You have to knock that one down, you know. So we just kept digging, man. And 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 when you're when you're competing, and you're tackling tackling the adversity that's ahead of you, it, it it's it's like you get another burst of energy to just keep going because it was like I made it. Let me do it again. I made it. Let me do it again. And then you start doing it, and next thing you know, you start beating people crazy, you know. And then it's like, dang, these people really can't they can't stop us, you know. And it's like, okay, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. And then you get to the point where you're chasing success of, 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 and the thrill of just winning. And, man, when you get a taste of just winning, man, it's, it's, it's hard. You know what I mean? It's hard to get away from that. And when you got people, everybody on the team, coaches, training staff, weight staff, um, the team playing like that, it's a force to be reckoned with. There, there may not have been anything that probably prepared you better than the people you were probably practicing against. I mean, right. you had you had a room full of, you know, first round draft picks, a bunch of guys that go in the NFL. So, you guys rack up 489 total yards. That's 154, 154 more than the Minnesota average. And as we talked earlier, JT Barrett continues his assault on the record books. As we said earlier, for the day he passes for 200 yards and three touchdowns, but he rushes for 189 yards and two scores. His assault on the records equals this. 189 yards rushing breaks Braxton's single game record of 186. He's responsible at this point in the season for 38 touchdowns. 
That breaks Braxton Braxton's record of 36. And he has an 86-yard run, which breaks Braxton's 81-yard record. So keep in mind, he's also set a passing record with six touchdowns in a game earlier in the season. So as we said, Michael Thomas, Jalen Marshall, and Evan all catch touchdown passes. On the defensive side, very underrated. They smother the Minnesota quarterback to a 7-for-19 day for 85 yards. He has two interceptions. And at this point, the Bucks have a Big Ten leading 16 interceptions on the season. And Adolphus Washington leads the team with eight tackles. Duran Grant, Joey Bosa, and Von Bell each have seven tackles. But let's talk about Jalen Marshall for a second because he has a little bit of a tough day. And as we get into it in a minute, the Twitter trolls are out in full force. Yeah. First, he's replacing Dontre Wilson as the team's primary punt returner. Uh, Dontre had surgery earlier in the week for a broken foot. And Jalen himself has three fumbles on the day. Unfortunately, two of them are turnovers. The fans are not especially kind to Jalen Marshall on social media. And I'm just going to give two examples. I'm going to actually tell these people's names. Scott, yeah. Yeah, Scott Martinson said, Jalen Marshall, you stupid freaking idiot. You might have just cost the Buckeyes a playoff spot. (laughs) Hashtag try golf. And I think it's funny that a person who called someone else stupid spelled it playoff. There you go. Yeah, you know, well, perfect example. Irony perfect is lost in Twitter. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. And then the second uh, guy named Gavin Bushong says, "Jalen Marshall, everyone hates you. Just go away." Yeah. And guys, those aren't even the worst ones. I don't want to dignify some of the things that the the fans were saying, or I'm not even going to call them fans for saying this on social media. But we talked two weeks ago about the coach's view of social media. Now I want to turn that around. And talk about how players handle it when the social media poison arrow is pointed at them. Mm-hmm. Were you guys aware of these things that were said about Jalen Marshall on oh, social yeah. media? No, we definitely were. And we're pissed, right? Like just straight, like through the roof, irate. And, and at least yeah. I knew I was because, I mean, yeah. dude, dude's in my room, right? Like yeah. we went to go watch that film afterwards and I, I saw yeah. it on his face. And it sucks. It sucks so bad. I mean, but I, I think that like, like when we all first come in here, right, there's a couple conversations that we start to have and, you know, through those conversations, at least internally, you start to build this bond where it's like, Hey guys, the fans are going to support you. And there's a hundred thousand, hundred million others. They're everywhere. But at the end of the day, right. We're doing this for us because go, go try to drop a couple picks, go, go try to drop a couple punts or something like that and, and see how they treat you. And then start looking at who it is that's actually picking you up, getting you ready to go compete again the next week. Yeah. Um, not to say that we don't value the fans and the relationship that we have with them, but you know, at times you have to be able to segment that relationship. And I think that this is one of those ones where it was like, you know what? Fuck them. <laughs> yeah. Jay, I got you. Josh has got you. Um, Braxton Miller, trust me, he's got you. Right. All of these guys are going to come to, you know, your side and showcase that, you know what? To hell with it. Everybody's human. You know, the yeah. <laughs> conditions were what they were. Things happen. Yeah. I'm going to put it like this. Anytime somebody tells one of, uh, it doesn't matter, a teammate or somebody I care for just in general, to go kill themselves, I'm be I'm be pissed off about it. Like right. I, you know, th- it's just not going to happen. And, and that was our mentality as a team. Um, I and I'm one of these people too. And I don't know how you felt about this, Evan, but I'm also not necessarily convinced that Jalen shouldn't have been 
our main punt returner the whole year. There you go. Uh, yeah. You know, I think there yeah. were a lot of people in the Jalen Marshall should be returning punts for us anyway camp. Yep. And so, like, he goes out there and, you you know, you muff a punt, you have a bad day. Everybody has a bad day. Like, yes. my mistakes aren't magnified like that because I'm playing linebacker, so I miss a tackle and somebody's probably there to clean it up. Mm-hmm. Unless I'm getting, you know, it was like the tackle at the goal line or, like, you know, I'm one-on-one and I just get mossed or something like that. Like, I made a ton of mistakes during the game. They didn't get magnified. He made a mistake. And it was on a play where everybody's looking at him. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like a lot of us were like, dude, let's let's go next week. Like, it is what yeah. it is, man. We right. all have bad games. We just let's play ball. I mean, kind of like, you know, to, to remember when we were talking about how that whole training that we would do with, like, quick changes and stuff with Coach yep. Mick. Like, defensively, yes, all of the fans, I hope that, oh, shit. Like, what the F? Like, this is terrible. But at the end of the day, like, you look at Josh and these guys take the field. It's like, shit, we trained for this. We're ready to go. Like, <laughs> yeah. this is, you know, you guys want to try to play. You want to, you know, play action and throw, throw a shot or you want to play power football. We got both and we're ready to go. And again, that just speaks to how we handle those types of uh, noisy conversations. It's interesting because we talked earlier in the show about this kind of being a brotherhood and guys being tight up and down the roster. You know, you you see Duran Grand right after the game comes out and says, we're going to hug him up, hug him up. He's a young guy. He's still our teammate. We love him. He's going to be good. He's going to be fine. And then Urban comes out and says, we're going to go right back to him. That's what good teams do. They pick each other up. So... Look, I mean, social media is such an ugly topic, and it's not something I want to close out the Minnesota game on. Was there anything that happened in that game or that week of practice that maybe we missed or that you guys want to talk about that we could have glossed over? Anything happened that um, you know sticks out that week? Yeah, I'll say the uh, the heated benches in the stadium. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is it's something we have to talk about. Um, that that saved us. Sure the, did. Oh the, my goodness the, gracious! Really. If, if, we didn't have heated benches on the sideline when we got there. We might have lost that game. Evan said it. Your 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 hands are freezing. Your feet are freezing. So the benches are on these platforms that have like a place where you sit your feet, and there's heat coming up from that. And mm-hmm. you can put your hands on the benches to warm them up when you come off the sideline. You know, <laughs> typically we stand there and you got the big jackets on. Them jackets don't do shit. Don't do anything. Huh. Don't do anything. <laughs> they really don't. Like, if it's windy, it'll block out wind, but that's about it. For, like, cold, it doesn't do anything. Mm -hmm. Those benches were amazing. And we turn around next week and play Indiana in the shoe, and Gene Smith got some benches lined up for us because he (laughs) knew that we needed to have those bad boys. They made that big of a difference. It's crazy. I mean, mean, like, think about it. Like, you go out there and play 12 plays on – you're out there for 15-ish minutes, we'll call it. You're going to get freezing no matter if you got an (laughs) Under Armour on or not. It doesn't matter. And you come back. I mean, hell, I'm I'm pretty sure those were the benches that we had gotten because we had a relationship with the the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. So they gave us some of their extra benches, Minnesota – Gophers were all pissed about it. Who cares, right? You know, at the end of the day, we're fine. Uh, but they are a huge advantage because while you're out there, you're playing. I can't feel my hands. I can't feel my feet. But at least when I come back to the bench, I know I can go straight back to that spot and put my helmet right there on the little stick. Yep. And there's some holes of air that come out. So my helmet's nice and cozy. Yep. I can hit on, sit on my hands and my hands and my feet start to get hot. Like, it's, it's fine. You know, it's interesting you talk about that because – That was a topic of conversation leading into the game. I think, and I could be wrong, but the University of Minnesota 
equipment room has its own Twitter account. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about how, you know, the uh, somebody had brought in heated benches and then the Minnesota Vikings equipment Twitter account said, yeah, that was us. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, there's exactly. a little, uh, little rivalry going on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, why you give it to them? Like, <laughs> All right. One quick thing before we move on. If you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe, follow, and give us a download on your favorite podcasting app. It's easy to do. Just navigate to Glory Days, Dreams, and Nightmares on your podcasting platform and hit subscribe or follow, and you'll be able to see all of our newest updates right when they drop. Then remember to download each episode so you can take our show wherever you go. One more time, remember to subscribe and download the Glory Days podcast, Dreams and Nightmares, to listen to the newest episodes as soon as possible. So on to the Indiana game. Um, sixth ranked Buckeyes are 34 point favorite over the Hoosiers. And it's really two teams that are going in opposite directions. You have the nine and one Buckeyes fresh off a win against Minnesota while three and seven Indiana comes to town reeling from a loss to Rutgers. The kickoff is at noon on the big 10 network. And it's in front of a non sellout crowd of 101,000 fans. Oh, now a that, weak ass crowd. Yeah. I was going to say <laughs> only, only 101,000. Are you <laughs> yeah, kidding right. me? Hey, it could be an early start time. That was a that was a Huntington Club game. Don't worry, it was one of those ones where the middle section sits on their buttocks and yeah, it, for real. Sorry, guys, love you, but that, that, I call a spade a spade. That's yeah. OSU basketball. Um, yeah, wow. But anyway, so anyway, the Bucks are going to end up winning forty-two twenty-seven. But again, it gets a little dicey up until the fourth quarter. Just like Minnesota, OSU jumps out to a quick fourteen nothing lead on a sixty-five yard run by Ezekiel Elliott and a four-yard touchdown reception by Evans' roommate, Jeff Hireman. Indiana's Tevin Coleman, who rushes for 228 yards on the day, has a two-yard TD run, but they also add a 30-yard field goal, and we finish up the first quarter 14-10 OSU. And in the second quarter, the only scoring is a 37-yard field goal by Indiana. As we head into the half, it's a 14-13 OSU lead. Now, you guys are the number six team in the country. You've already clinched the spot in the Big Ten Championship but I guess the argument could be made that you're fighting for style points too. You got to win the game though. How do you, what do you remember about halftime here? Anything? Just wake the fuck up was yeah. probably the, the tenor of the conversation there is we're better than this. Get your head out your ass and go play football. Right. Okay. We're not there yet. Sure. We beat Michigan state and you know, that, that box is checked, but yep. God damn it. We still got to go to work here and it's right now, right? Yeah. The third quarter starts here in a few minutes. So what are you going to do? And you guys, you guys get it. Um, it starts out, though, Indiana takes a 2014 lead on a 90-yard run by Tevin Coleman. We yeah, that's a bad deal. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a great player, but 90 yards, like, golly. Mm-hmm. It's just, that's embarrassing. But, you know, the good news is at this point, it just becomes the Jalen Marshall show. Sure he does. has a 50-yard punt return touchdown. He puts the Bucks up by one. Uh, I'm sorry, that 54-yard punt return for a touchdown puts the Bucks up by one, heading into the fourth quarter, 21-20. And then we have three straight touchdown passes to Jalen Marshall. Six, 15, and 54 yards. And before you know it, you guys are up 42 to 20. And then Tevin Coleman does what Tevin Coleman sometimes does. He has a 52-yard run to end the game. And it's 42-27 for the good guys. Now, we're going to get into Jalen Marshall in a minute. But let's get into the stats. And something jumps out at me more than anything else. Joshua, a month earlier, you had your best statistical game with 18 tackles but here against indiana you light it up with 14 tackles and you have two tackles and three tackles for a loss what 
got into you in this game? I don't know. You know, just sometimes the matchup works out in your favor. I'll, I'll say this. Coach, it is Wheaties that morning. That's what I guess so. Coach Fit called my number, though, which, which you know, sometimes you, you roll with the hot hand. Like, like we would – you divvy up the blitzes. You know, like, who do you want blitzing? Because you, you got to get home. And so, like, Darren Lee was a guy who used to get home pretty well. So he would – he'd be one of the guys on the blitz. We were really good bringing our corners on blitzes. So we would call Cowboy. Like, we knew we were going to get a couple of those shots a game. But Coach Fick called my number uh, a few times, and I was able to get back there, you know, TFL, sacks, whatever the case was. Um, but I, I also – I don't know. I just – I watched that game tape a number of times since. I just I, – I had a little bit of a different intensity in finishing in the backfield. Like, I was – it's probably a little selfish, but, like, you know, you, you, you get your evaluation, you look at your stats, and you're, you know, you're trying to get your draft stock up. And I had a bunch of tackles. I didn't have a ton of tackles for a loss. That was one thing I needed to do was play in the backfield a little bit more. And it was just a point of emphasis for me. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, listen, going back to the defense, I think we just talked about it a minute ago. But unlike Penn State, when the defense only gave up a half a yard per rushing attempt, you had Tevin Coleman go for 228. And it's the third straight game where a running back goes over 100 yards. We talked about these guys. They both all played in the NFL. Jeremy Langford Mm -hmm. at Michigan State, David Cobb at Minnesota. Urban, after the game, said, hey, very, very concerned about that, and we're going to work real hard to correct it. Joshua, what does real hard to correct it look like next week? What, is, what are they doing? So Urban's funny like that. We're going to work real hard to correct it. And then, you know, he's, he's watching uh, – uh, routes on air and one-on-ones again so it's <laughs> right you know it's so really, he, he charged the defensive coaches up that's what happened <laughs> luke fickle and chris ash <laughs> probably yeah. got a damn earful in the meeting <laughs> exactly. and then it was on them yep. to get it right but for us it was it was so much fundamental football for us so i remember like i said i've watched that game tape a number of times indiana was hitting us with the concept that we hadn't really seen up to that point in the run game, and we called it CG. So the center and the guard would pull on the front side, so to the play side, and they would lead the way. And so as a linebacker, when when a player on your side of the surface pulls, your gap moves. We don't ask the defensive lineman to move their gap. We ask him to stay where he's at. And the linebacker, we our gap moves since a player moved, a blocker moved, and you got to go fill there. On the CG play, it's two gaps that move. So we got to get over two gaps. Mm -hmm. And we weren't ready for that. And so we weren't gap sound. We would not have a leverage point. That's how somebody breaks a 90-yard run. There's just nobody out out there to turn it back inside. Um, And so for us, it was really working on the fundamentals. Like, you you have to have big enough vision as a linebacker to see everybody that's in the box. And then when you see those two guys pulling, you have to make sure if like as an outside linebacker, I got to get all the way to the outside so I can send everything back in. Yeah. Well, interesting. Uh, offense, JT throws four touchdown passes, just a little stats here. Three to Jalen, mm-hmm. one to Jeff Hyerman. Jeff has five receptions for 74 yards on the day. Yeah, Jeff Zeke, had a big game. Jeff did. Uh, and Zeke runs for 107 yards and a touchdown. I think it's noteworthy that JT breaks Troy Smith's touchdown passing record with his 33rd touchdown pass. So he's out there breaking all the records of Troy and Braxton. But now on to Jalen. He has four touchdowns on the day. He has 95 yards receiving. He's got a 54-yard punt return for a touchdown. Um, You know, you guys get back in the locker room. Any special attention given to him, either from his position group or team, 
after you come into the locker room. Remember, I mean, the, the fans and the listeners need to understand these are 18 to 22 year old kids. Right. And I mean, huge game following kind of a nightmare social media week. What, right. uh, what was it like with him in the locker room afterward? He'd get was, on the burner account and, and start tweeting shit at people. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I might just say, fake Jalen Marshall. No, I'm <laughs> No, but it was elation, man. It really was, right? Because it's it basically our the best way that we could give a middle finger to those fans who were being assholes. Yeah. And I, I think that, like, right, hugging them up, showing that, like, hey, man, we saw you struggle, right? We, we, we saw you go through that mentally. We wanted to be there for you. And now we get to see the smile. Uh, now let's hug it up. Let's do it up. That was a great win. You know, all our Buckeyes. And now we're going on to the next week. And, yeah. you know, I think that's kind of, you know, how we treated a lot of what we were doing. And, you know, for Jalen, probably how, how it helped him get over it pretty quickly uh, on top of four touchdowns. I guess that, that, that doesn't hurt either. Suffice to say, a couple of the players took him out to Charlie Bear that night. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. It, well, actually, I think Charlie Bear had they had like left and then came back, and it was it wasn't the same. So it might have changed and rooftop went, big bar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Trying out some rooftop big bar, maybe little bar too. Little bar was dope. Yeah. Uh, but no, there's definitely a few spots where you know we were in them streets. You know what I'm saying? Two. Yes. We were not sheets that night. Put you that way. Twos. For well, sure. that's how I want to actually come to close with this episode. When you guys, you guys are you know, going to have big games further down the season. But I'm wondering after you have a big game, is there a special group that likes to take you out? Do you guys have a ritual of what you do after the game, especially when you have a big game? I mean, Evan, you had a big game against Alabama. What'd you do after mm. that game? Um, honestly, man, it, it was just give with my guys. Like, you know, we had so much fun together off the field. Like, Honestly, the, it, it was it was awesome. It was amazing. Yeah, sure, my parents and my family got to see that. I even had a cousin. That, he didn't fly in from um, Dubai for that game, but he flew in for the next one. But all in, like, you know, I probably the quickest I've ever changed to get ready to go out to Bourbon Street. Yeah, because we, we were in Bourbon Street and it was about to be a freaking blast. But, like... It was just more about like, you know, guys, we answered the bell, right? Like, yeah. you know, I was able to contribute to being able to achieve our objective. And, you know, at the start of the winter, that seemed like an impossible task. Everybody's like, Ohio's going to get their ass kicked. This is, you know, they're, they're great. And then we started watching, right? Kind of like Coach Meyer says, like, they, they look like Goliath. And then you start watching. And as the weeks get closer and the days get closer, you're like, oh, well, we can do this. We can do this. And then it's game day. And you're like, shit, we got a great plan. We're going to go get these guys. Um to, to have that level of preparation yeah. and then have, you know, everything go right. <laughs> you know, there's definitely a lot of celebrations on the back end of it. And uh, watching the sunrise that next morning was one of yeah. them. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, for Jalen and this one, I'm sure there was a lot of that same feeling. Joshua, how about you? Being a Columbus guy, did you have any kind of ritual you would do after the game? I know you're very close with your family. Do you go home for dinner? What, do you, what are you doing after a big game, and obviously this is a big game for you. Yeah, we used to go to a Cap City Diner right there on Olentangy River Road. Um, shout out for sponsorship, Cap City. Holler at your boy. Um, <laughs> Good. Uh, but we we would we would just no that time. that was our that was our spot. We would sit down. We'd have a nice meal. Um, there were usually some Buckeye fans in there, and so people would be asking about the game and, and you know different stuff, whatever the case was. But um, that was it. And then my parents would you know drop me back off at the Woody. Uh, parking lot, I pick up mm -hmm. my car and then drive back to the apartment, hop in an Uber and find my way to campus one way or another and yep. do a little hanging out. But um, always, always wanted to be uh, with the family after the game. And I was always like, when I say the last one out of the locker room, I like, I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> I was like 
I was the opposite of Evan. I wasn't. Yeah, dude. You know, See, I, I had so much. <laughs> I had so much experience waiting on my damn dad and taking forever <laughs> to come out of the locker room. That like I was always the first guy in and trying to get out because I had had a lifetime of hearing my mom complain about how slow my dad was coming out of the locker room. No, I was. So I was a I was slow out, mover. We'd, we'd get you know get our food and they drop me off and then the night was on. I was a slow mover post game, man. I, but I, you know, I take my time and, and I don't know what it was. Just really no, just I mean, sitting in the moment. Like but everybody's kind of got their own yeah. own ritual. And I think this is kind of what Chris is speaking to is that, yeah. like, you know, once it's all over with and all of the emotions start to come back down, it's just you yeah. know, get back into your groove. It's just about what you do to relax. And never forget streets or sheets. So guys, I think this is as good a place to stick a pin in this episode, especially on such a high note as the Jalen Marshall redemption, redemption tour. Anything you want to add regarding either Minnesota or Indiana? Um, no, I don't have anything else. I think we kept both of those up pretty well, you know, going yeah. back, they were both closer games than we wanted them to be, yeah. but also really important games for us to, you know, fight through adversity we didn't really expect to be there um, yeah i just kind of want to reiterate that point exactly is i think these at least in my estimation i think these two games were as pivotal as any in our journey to becoming champs because um both of them got sloppy at times and we showed fight and, and we you know we became resourceful and, and just really played hard as hell the glory days podcast mm-hmm. dreams and nightmares with joshua perry and evan spencer Hosted by Chris Caldwell. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Glory Days podcast, Dreams and Nightmares. If you liked what you heard, you can follow us on Twitter at Glory Days Pod. That's all one word, at Glory Days Pod. On Instagram, at Glory underscore Days underscore Pod. And like us on Facebook at Glory Days Podcast. Next episode, there's a scene on the video that they play that whole week. Of players throwing punches right. in the right way. <laughs> yeah. like, that's a visual we exactly. have as we're preparing for the game all week. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, like, right. this is really happening. Totally. The dreaded team up north comes to the shoot. We'll have some exclusive looks behind the storied rivalry as the guys gear up for the end of the regular season. See you next time.